Hello and welcome to New Tricks, the weekly podcast from New Dog PR. I'm Emily Newman. And I'm Catherine Doggle. This podcast is a chance to mull over the current goings on in hotel land, chat to some pleasant folk about things they know and provide some interest for your ears. We've brought our journalism and communication experience together with our sector knowledge and contacts to create a strategic PR company which understands investing in hotels and the many roles within them. Welcome to the latest episode of New Tricks. This week, we're joined by Asli Katlukan, CDO at Psychus Hospitality, where we'll be discussing how to get through passport control in 10 hours or less, and how hotels would have to become more flexible in every way as we come out of the pandemic. Hello, and welcome to episode, we think it's episode 23, but whatever episode it is, you're very welcome to episode dot 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 of New Tricks, the weekly podcast from New Dog PR. And we have our, our Roman reporter who we'll, we will catch up with in two seconds. She's not in Paris, so this is very exciting. Different M&S shelves to explore. And also the always delightful Adley Kudlukan from Psychas Hospitality, the Chief Development Officer at Psychas Hospitality, joins us as well. Asli, thank you for joining us. How are you? All good, all happy, and especially with today's news coming from UK that we are allowed uh, freely in and out with our vaccination to the country. Can't no, be uh, complaining. You, well <laughs> <laughs> you are, I'm not. So, it's, it's, once again, an announcement of nuance. Uh, so they've uh, some grant chaps has yet to recognise anyone who doesn't have their vaccine on the NHS app, uh, which is tricky. If you don't have the NHS app, I don't have the NHS app. I have the European COVID certificate on my app, uh, which isn't being recognised by Mr. Shaps at this point. So thanks. <laughs> I like the way that he made he made these announcements on on Twitter or and, and in a more formal setting, but I saw them on Twitter, um, and he'd hashtagged. British people can now come back. Hashtagging the British there to really ram that home. What oh, sweet man. Yeah, sweet man. <laughs> making no racism involved here, Mr. Shaps, because that would be awful, wouldn't it, if that was a thing. Making you I'm feel sure all warm there. and cuddly. Mm. But where are you today? Where are you speaking to us from? Um, so today, I'm... Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I'm... I'm just vicariously travelling through both of you. Asli, where are you calling from today? I'm today in Amsterdam. I was in London yesterday, in fact, but today in Amsterdam, <laughs> tomorrow Paris. <gasps> Travel. See? It's a Travel. thing. <laughs> Places. And our Paris correspondent is speaking, calling to us from... Cannes. I am here in Cannes. Not for the film festival, although I am deeply implying that I am here for the film festival. <laughs> if I <laughs> oh, you've seen some famous people. Um, I didn't recognise them. Um, but they were dressed bizarrely, which made me assume that they must be famous people. And the dog barks at one of the dresses. So, can. It's a, it's a thing. People are there. All in all. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, many carpets. There's a red carpet at the train station. Really? Yes. Gosh. Well, that is a sense of real sort of entitlement that you must feel every, whenever anyone arrives. <laughs> well, it's a train, trains, as Greta will tell you, are what's going to keep the planet, you know, alive. So you should be if you're using the train on red carpet. It's very true. Um, Adley, you have opened a, well, not just you single-handedly, or I'm sure you have, a, if you had an enormous part to play in it, but many congratulations on the opening of the Hyatt Place, London City East. How's it going? Tell us the, tell us all the details. Sure. Um, well, so over the past 10 months now, that was our 12th hotel opening in fifth country. Uh, <laughs> it was... Uh, 
yeah, it took a lot of courage um, and a lot of hard work from our teams to actually finish off these constructions or conversions and everything we had to do over the past year and open these hotels. But we did it and everything pretty much in according to the plan, maybe a few weeks here and there. Some of them opened earlier, actually. Some of them opened a couple of weeks delayed. But I think I'm very proud of what we have achieved because you know, not only opening these hotels is a hotel is an addition into our portfolio, but hundreds of new psychedets, you know, joined Ooh. us over this past 10 months where, you know, everybody has been un- under a lot of pressure and stress, losing jobs and uncertainty about the future. And, you know, we, our job is with people and people are our most important assets in our company. So having these hotels open, but also having all these new, awesome, amazing people all the way in France, in Netherlands, in UK, that really uh, gives me hope and makes me very happy. Very happy. Are those well, people... You... Sorry, you're going to ask the same question, I reckon. Go on, yeah, you go. No, no, I spoke just now. Um, are your uh, new fantastic team, are they... Do they are they from a hospitality background? Are are they familiar with the ways of hotel land, or are they are you drawing them in from other sectors? Where are you sort of where are you what, what sort of pools are you fishing from? Good question. Well, basically, currently, of these hotel opening teams, pretty much majority of them being uh, with a hotel background. But don't forget, with the hotel openings, you don't hire them the day before the opening. Uh, your core teams usually come on board anything from minus six months to minus 12 months from the opening, depending on size and location. And then sort of more junior team members comes on board about a month or three months before the opening. So you have enough time to train them. So we kind of uh, already did a lot of recruitment um, uh, sessions over last year and um, most of them had to be online and etc and that was completely a new learning curve and I, I need to shout out here to Janet our chief people and um, culture officer I mean recruiting in five different countries while still locked into your house in Cheshire uh, she, <laughs> that, that was a quite incredible Herculean work of course she's got team members across all of these countries that obviously sports her but it, it took a lot of creative uh, approach how how we hire these people how we train them and how we open these hotels but yeah again look I, I I take all the credits but I do nothing I just put the deals together and make sure everybody does what they need to do but actually people who open physically these hotels who make the beds who cooks the eggs it's not me it's these all extremely dedicated people and um yeah, they, they, they're mostly from hospitality background, but we are very open-minded these days, as you can guess why, <laughs> uh, to hire anyone uh, that has their heart in customers and people. Mm. Very wise. Um, as you, so that's an astronomical amount of hotels to have opened during a pandemic. Which markets, which geographies are you, are there any that you're moving towards, particularly proactively? Are there any that you're thinking, I might not touch that for a while? <laughs> um, look, listen, we are basically in France, Netherlands, uh, Belgium, Germany, and the UK. And currently the biggest stock uh, is in the UK, of course, uh, then France and then Benelux. And we are, we, we, all we need to do is double down in these markets because we already have these awesome teams and we can create more synergies and we know the markets very well. Where we are leaning towards, for example, is Switzerland because for us, we treat Switzerland. I hope no one from Switzerland are listening to this, but uh, sort of uh, the Western part. <laughs> 
we look at as as extension of our French team, and then the Eastern side, you know, uh, we're looking at as an extension to our German teams. And within our leadership and and corporate level, we have a lot of people who worked in Switzerland. So we feel like that's a very natural and easy progression rather than trying to go and open a hotel say Turkey, well, dodgy country, you don't want to ever open a hotel there probably, but <laughs> just joking, I'm Turkish for those of <laughs> you. Know. But it's, a, it's not a time and place for us to go above and beyond to a completely new market. I don't think it makes sense. But within the markets that we are operating today, there are a lot of um, struggle, struggling establishments, let's say that way, uh, and, and, and looking to exit and our capital partners, our investors looking to capitalize on that. Therefore, you know, taking over and operating a set in these markets that we are already present is much, much, much easier, of course. So we're focusing on that. Um, yeah, and, and, and expanding an logical expansion plan within, within Europe and European Europe still. Mm. And how are the investors viewing Europe at the moment? Do they think they should be getting more bargains? They think it's good, bad, oh, better it's, than sale? It's crazy. I mean, there's, there's so much... Uh, uh, so so much movement taking place at the moment. I mean, I think you guys know as well, first came on board these all big portfolios. So those are uh, transacting and big assets, they are transacting. And and more and more uh, opportunistic, op- uh, opportunistic assets coming onto market. And I think the, the real, real uh, sort of uh, explosion availability of assets, I think is going to be towards the end of the year when all the... Um, moratoriums and come to an end government fundings of course coming to an end and the banks start sort of uh you know calling their uh, you know hoteliers where they're breaching their covenant um uh, leverages and stuff so there is going to be much more assets coming onto market later this year and that is uh, uh that is completely uh, most private equity uh, sort of uh, market because industry um, in, in institutional investors, as you know, they can only operate under a lease structure. Today, no operator going to give or there aren't going to be many operators looking to give a lease on an operating asset. So therefore, uh, this is going to be basically mostly private equity game. We've seen a lot of private equities from all around the world, but especially American ones uh, coming into Europe, looking to buy, uh, you know, sizable assets and and have their either expand their portfolio or have their entry. Uh, our European capital partners have been already very active, and and the prices we're seeing at the moment is very interesting. It's not everything has started going yet. On the bargain, I think we have seen lots of motivated sellers this first two quarters of the year where they were aware that they need to sell it. And if they wait until Q3, Q4, when everybody else trying to sell their assets, then you're going to be one of the other thousand assets that are on the market and you really have to fight to get attention on the market. But those who have been probably a bit more smarter on Q1 and Q2 and or, or end of last year put themselves on the market so that at least they had everybody's attention because all these guys uh, with dry powder, it, they wanted to acquire these things. But as I say, I think it hasn't, these assets hasn't gone into extremely discount price, no. Uh, but also they, you know, they were decent amount of uh, 
returns for all parties. So everybody's happy, I think. Let's see Q3, Q4. That's when we're going to see distressed asset sales. Mm. And do, do you, oh, go ahead. Do you, think the pri- do you think the pricing will be reflected that at the end of the year, towards the end of the year? Yeah. 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 Because, yeah. look, I think everybody, I mean, everybody being forecasting their business uh, every month, almost every week since last year. Yeah. Minutes, but I think maybe. everybody... Uh, Optimistically, I, I, you know, I, I, I know from some of our colleagues and competitors, you know, they, they did their reforecasting for the year back in March and April, and even to a certain degree, we did as well. But more optimistically, seeing a more active, a more, more uh, positive summer recovery. But you know, you all seeing what's happening. Still, it's, uh, yeah, it's very slow. It's very slow, and not the whole world, and not even whole Europe yet vaccinated, in order to get the full transport and 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 travel back online. We need pretty much the whole world to be, you know, fairly good uh, vaccinated. Otherwise, it's it's just not gonna reopen. So we still have quite a big time. I mean, to be honest, what I always say, and and been you know discussing with my teams here internally, and also in other discussions, I always mention the last. 16 months wasn't difficult. It was difficult in personal, emotional level for all of us, but not for businesses because we all had sport one way or the other. And nobody judged you on your performance last 16 months. Nobody looked at your KPI and say anything because there was no KPI to achieve. Now, the biggest problem starts now. The next 18 months is going to be make or break for everyone. We're not going to open fully our borders and travels, and we're not going to have the the same traffic we had in 2019 during the next 18 months. But we're going to have more hotels open than 2019 in most markets because we had during the boom years in 2016, 17, 18, all these constructions started. And and if you look at what is the current inventory in, in some of the key markets, we have more hotel rooms than 2019. For 18 months ahead, we're going to have less passengers and travelers and, 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 and people coming through into these markets. So that's where I think we're all going to literally fighting for, you know, half, if not less than half of the business with more inventory. So if you don't have the right strategy in place, right commercial strategy in place, right business model uh, from cost and manning and et cetera, um, I, I can't just see how all these businesses are going to survive without any support. And how do you persuade somebody then in that uncertain slash horrifying environment um, to take a lease, to, to work with you, to take a punt on hotels? Sorry? How do you persuade so, an investor in that environment to take a lease? Ah. Well, I mean, look, the, the, the thing is, Depend in in most of these. Let, let me just put this way: so in the, most of these markets, also there are so many under demolished hotels or hotels that should have had some capex or some change of management uh, or strategy. So uh, I think one of our biggest advantage here is that Sykes being true pan European, our sales and commercial teams are not just UK based. We have a quite a significant size of commercial teams uh, that are running, um, you know, our hotels in Germany and France and Netherlands and UK. Now, the benefit of this, of course, not only that um, 
they're good within their countries, a majority of the people who are going to be traveling within the next, next 18 months, especially businesses, are usually going to be these people um, from these countries traveling to each other for business meetings and, and even leisure and packages, etc. So we have a slightly different proposition here to, to put on the table. And the other part is, of course, we are brand agnostic. So we have... Uh, from six brand chains, 14 different brands under our management uh, currently across five countries. So the, you can say we have quite a bit of intelligence very specific to those brands or the, those markets that we can, of course, have the best practice and in information share. So, I, look, I think we're all going to struggle, but we have slightly better advantage that we're not just a... A operating uh, business in one country. We are operating in all of those countries, at least that are going to be opening their borders or already open their borders to each other. And there's mm. a lot of business to recover from there. You mentioned um, you mentioned staffing at the beginning, um, and you, the, the the you know, Psychas are well known for caring. Uh, this isn't just you know. For, for putting a lot of, of time and energy into recruitment, into training, how um, and which is great, and we should all make a point of that. That's not necessarily indicative of the wider industry. And we now have this horror of a situation where people aren't coming back from furlough because they've, and, and I quote, it's a best, it's, I get a better job working at the Amazon warehouse, um, construction site, anything. They're just, it, it's just awful. And having experienced two or three um, hospitality um, experiences over the last couple of weeks, they were truly shocking. Um, and I just wonder what your views are on how we deal with this. Is this a case of, I mean, yeah, but I won't answer the question for you. How do we deal with it? Yeah, look, listen, I think, let me, just answer from a circus perspective, and yes, we are not the norm in the market, perhaps. So I'm going to move to the root of your our problem on that specifically. But we genuinely have this in, insane uh, dedication towards providing a um, a desirable work environment as Psychas. That has always been our most important motto, and 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 it still is. In fact, this week is our Psychas's Employee Appreciation Week. So when I was in London. Um, in Tuesday, we, we had some of our team members, uh, they all get together, we played games and say thank you to each other, had some bite to eat. And tonight we're taking our Dutch colleagues into a, on a boat uh, to say thank you for everything. You know, these are, of course, you know, most companies does, we're not the only one doing for sure, is that, you know, keep doing this, not just for the show, but that truly embedding this to not just for a week in a year, but every day every day to have this. So we have many different engagement. And imagine we have about 1,000 employees across five countries. So trying to keep them feel they're part of a bigger thing than just one single hotel. We have our own uh, Facebook-like app, employee app, that everybody is there. So it's our own, exactly like a Facebook, but that's a Saikas one. So you can see our teams from Germany posting something uh, on there. And you can see an Amsterdam uh you know, employee of us can be posting me washing dishes at our Moxie on the last Saturday. And and you can see our CEO in one of our hotels in Paris. And that's really making them feel that they're bigger, they're part of a bigger thing, bigger family. That has a lot of value because 
other thing that also shows is that we have many of our junior employees or junior team members that joined us, say, 10, 12 years ago in, say, Liverpool or London. Some of them now a manager in our Paris property. Another one is a manager in our um, Amsterdam property. So it's not only also they come into work for us in that particular hotel, but we provide them a vision about how their future can uh, be with us. It's not monotone. It can change. As long as you put you know, your heart and soul in it, we're going to put our heart and soul and training into you that you can have a nice long life cycle with us. Now, going back into industry-wide, look, I come from Oise, Turkey. I lived, born and raised in Turkey. I went to the hospitality school in Turkey. Also, I lived and uh, worked in America, and I also did some uh, hospitality uh, schools in America. Now, what we don't have in Europe is exactly that, hospitality schools. Yes, we do have Guillaume, the, the Hague, and the, and the uh, Lausanne, but these are not cheap. These are, you can only go if you have money. We don't have this public level where, you know, you finish or you start in your high school level and move into hospitality school, institution, university, whatever you want to call, that is accept, uh, accessible to everyone so that they actually see that being a career rather than you need to go and study a different subject and you do hospitality on the side to pay your rent or your school tuition. And that is the biggest problem I see in Europe that is completely different to both, you know, to East or the West, what I've seen um, and experienced. We don't have this really yet in, embedded in our culture as being a career because you don't really. I mean, in England, what is it? Is Oxford Brooks? Is there anywhere else that is, apart from Oxford Brooks, that is, you know, hospitality driven as, you know, big name or quality name? So I think that's one of the biggest issues. We have to yeah. involve. I did my um, I did my what was affectionately known as either a Mickey Mouse degree or a cooking degree. So that tells you everything. Um, at the University of Surrey, and a very fine establishment it was yes. too. Surrey, I know one of the professors at Surrey, and they do do that. But, but we need to bring this to not, almost everywhere, right? Yeah, and, and, yeah. and also an accessible level, and maybe even start from high school, because yeah. service industry is something. Uh, you know, quite exciting, especially if you have a little bit uh, outgoing personality and you like just to hang out with people, with cool people. I mean, any kid, I, I would like to think that actually want to make a career on this once they started. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's where we start. And of course, once we start thinking that this, um, this, we, we've been so much, so long looking at hospitality in minimum wage, minimum wage, minimum wage. But I think this is a very hard work, so it shouldn't be minimum wage. So in our, mm-hmm. all of our hotels, again, in UK and around, we're trying to pay. We pay above the minimum wage, living wage or London wage, whatever they call it. And I think as an industry, we have to acknowledge that this is an um, important skill set that we need on board. And let's not treat this as an entry point. Treat this as a respectable work level. And again, if you do that, then people are going to actually approach this as a career as well. Hmm. And therefore, then it's kind of a, almost a cycle. You're going to create a nice positive cycle that people are going to choose hospitality as a career. And then the other people are going to see this and they're going to join, etc. Career path. Yeah. Absolutely. After, but it's sorted. After, <laughs> after sort of 18 months, or I lose count now, 
uh, on on pandemic time, and no one's had their hotels open. How easy is it for another for another hotelier to say, well, you know what, we haven't got any staff. What we're going to do is we're going to pay them twice as much out of all the money we're not getting in. That's a very wrong strategy as well, and 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 this is something um, again in a couple of the. The panels and groups I'm part of, I, I kind of say, because we've seen that happening in some of uh, America opened up early and some of the states or cities or companies has done that mistake. Now, look, th- there is a limit what a hotel business can afford to pay. Yeah. So and therefore, if you start raising in above and beyond the norm, what we can a- afford, you cannot ever bring it back then that is just not going to work for anyone because business are going to close down and there's going to be more unemployment because, you know, there's not going to be business to work for these people. I think what businesses need to do, and we did that as well, and I'm pretty sure majority of uh, our sort of um, uh, colleagues in the industry are doing as well. You have to look at your business model and trying to figure out, first of all, technology. Today's technology is actually so much more uh, efficient and can help us operationally in hotels, in restaurants, in bars to utilize uh, to our benefit that actual stuffing levels can be less. So number one. And I, I know hospitality has been, or hotel business been so behind trading, uh, behind airline business. I mean, for God's sake, these guys have been doing online check-in uh, and check out whatever for decades. Why can't we still just push this through? All of our customers who stay, or let's say 99% of our customers who stay in our hotels has been at least once or twice in an airplane and used the, the app, the check-in, and get through the, 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 the gates. Why can't we do that? Why can't we just push that through? This way, we're going to release all those people behind the desk and, and being slaved to the computer trying to do all this, entering the credit card, please sign in here, please sign in there, which takes so much time. We will have enough time to serve them and talk to them other things and give them advice where to go, where to, you know, what to do. And therefore, again, staffing levels can lower and change our uh, menus, for example, in the restaurants, make it more adaptable and easier service until you can acquire enough uh, staffing levels to be suitable to that kind of previous type of menus you may be serving before. As we um, hurtle towards the end of this, what's been, frankly, a delightful exchange, and we're going to finish it off by asking you the same questions that we ask everyone else. I just, um, I'm interested to hear your views on traditional, the traditional hotel model versus Sonder. And uh, we know you guys are massive fans of extended stay. We know extended stays have fared very well over the last year and a half. What happens, what happens next? Do we, are there is there still is there still a place for a traditional hotel? What what do you think? Absolutely, I think there is definitely place for a traditional hotel. There's always going to be, right? But about what seven, eight, ten years ago, when Airbnb came here, first of all, the first thing everybody says, oh, the hotel business is going to crash, so we don't need hotels anymore. And then a couple of years after that, oh, Airbnb is going to disappear. Both of us still here and both of us still working. So Saunders, co-living, alternative, and all these different um, uh, heads-on-beds places <laughs> uh, are, are going to have a very interesting place in the market because people's traveling, living, and working habits are changing rapidly. 
before COVID, but after COVID even more rapidly. There's a bit more freedom of travel and work from different places. Uh, whatever we hear about people saying come back to office, is everybody going to go back at certain level of office time? But there is also going to be a lot of different alternative uh, living ways. So, yeah, I think there is always going to be a place for them. And we're going to see even more different versions of them, I'm sure. Especially in the rural areas. I think Mm -hmm. we're going to see even more different accommodation types. Perhaps even including a pink bathroom, Catherine, what do you think? Well, yes, I mean, uh, as I can tell you here from my borrowing can, um, that uh, this building had been, this is a perfect example of what's happened in the hotel sector, this building was originally built as a hotel um, back before cameras were built up. I can't see the sea from here, but apparently it's there and you could see it in the past. Um, so this was a hotel um, and then it was converted in, I think, the 30s into an apartment block and now this apartment has been used as part of the sharing economy. So... Many lives, same parquet, probably same bathroom. <laughs> we can but hope. <laughs> um, okay, let's let's have your views on these last few questions then um, that we ask everyone. So when the shutters are up and I've had the jabs in my arm, the first thing I'm going to do is New York. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't you didn't even miss a beat then. Nope. That's uh, something me and my other half, we've been just dreaming on the darkest, coldest lockdown days, the day we can actually get to New York and eat, drink and be married there. Nice. And well, I wish you both a lovely time. It's going to be grand. Okay, the best thing about the hotel sector is? People. People and people. We need to say nothing more. Um, the hotel sector would be significantly improved if? More schools dedicated to hospitality. I think you're right, because then that then feeds the entire piece, doesn't it, around reputation, around status, around opinion. Um, Career, yeah. Yeah, everything. It, it takes it out of being something you do on the side to so you do a career out of it and have a path, clear path. Because if something has an education, that then has a, a clear path on growth and where you're going to take, where you can take it to. And it's validated, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. A friend of mine did their masters on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Wow. And um, I know. <laughs> wow. So that is now well a career. <laughs> and if that could work, then my goodness, we can make it. <laughs> <laughs> must have a chance. Brilliant. What the industry needs now is? Quick return to healthy travel. That's all we need. And finally, and this is a question, not a statement, I'd like to think we've learned from this. Life is too short and unpredictable. <laughs> so don't put your dreams on hold. Get on with them. Can we make like a fridge magnet out of that? <laughs> I'm sure there is one somewhere. I couldn't come up with this. I'm sure I read it somewhere else that is sticking in my head. <laughs> I think we'll credit you for that. You can have that. You can. We can Thank take you. that credit. You can take that credit. Um, Catherine, have you got any other questions? Where are you going next? Champagne. <laughs> Of course, of course. And how many PCR tests will you need to get, take to get there? <laughs> three. <laughs> Just the three. Well, they're free in France, so it's fine. I'm used to it now, actually. I did. I had another 50 or 60 this week. And um, and I've become, I have become inured to them. In France, they're really like, they really go in for the brain. It's a real, like, Egyptian mummifying experience. They're, like, right up there and trying to see what they can hook down. Um, I had three this and, week. And that way. Fine. 
Yeah. Let me tell you something. So I had one in Switzerland when I was there for meetings two months ago. I had to have one in Lausanne before I traveled back to Netherlands. And they use Roche branded swap. And it's not invasive. It's just around the nostril. ones at the top? Just around the nostril without actually going into your brain where actually once they gone so deep into my brain, I even remember the moment I was coming out of my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Was it still recording? (laughs) (laughs) All the memories that we're building of travel. Near life experiences we've had whilst having delightful and well thank you so much for joining us Catherine it's delightful that you can join us from your from your from your place by the sea enjoy your enjoy your work from beach Ashley good luck with everything um have a marvelous time and a well-earned break thank you very much thanks everyone for listening until next time So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg, or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference, apparently. Until next time.